Hi, I'm Asha Tomlinson. And I'm David Common. And we're hosts of CBC Marketplace. We're award-winning investigative journalists that want to help you avoid clever scams, unsafe products, and sketchy services. Our TV show has been Canada's top investigative consumer watchdog for more than 50 years. But this is our first podcast. CBC Marketplace podcast is available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. My partner Tamara has seasonal allergies and she tells me her sneezing and itchy eyes began earlier and is more severe than usual. Other people have said pretty much the same thing, but is that recency bias or is something else going on? So this week we're asking, what do we know about how seasonal allergies are changing? Hi, Anne. Welcome to The Dose. Hi, thank you for having me. Do you suffer from seasonal allergies? Interestingly enough, I do. Is that uh, why you became uh, so interested in uh, the study and the treatment of people with allergies? It's a big part of why I became an allergist. It's the first specialist I ever saw as a child. I was fascinated by the diagnostics um, and the fact that you could walk into a specialist's office and walk out with answers within you know, the end of your consultation. It's a very rewarding specialty to be able to treat people and give them the answers that when, by the time they walk out the door. Well, answers to these burning questions are what subscribers to The Dose are interested in hearing. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. But before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it? Absolutely. So my name is Dr. Ann Ellis. I'm a professor of medicine and chair of the Division of Allergy and Immunology at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Okay, here we go. Seasonal allergies are an annual thing. Has the allergy season started earlier this year? So it's a great question. We thought it was starting earlier. And then if, if you live in Ontario, I think you do like I do, we got hit with all this snow this past weekend and cold weather. So there was a hint of an early start to the allergy season and then it just got the uh, brakes put on it. Um, but I fully anticipate that when all this recent snow melts, um, we're calling for warmer temperatures. I think it will uh, relaunch again uh, as it was trying to do a week ago. Um, and it is interesting to see how um, every year seems to be a little bit different. Um, we used to be very able to predict the onset and offset of pollen seasons. Uh, climate change clearly has gotten its, itself into the mix and is making it a little bit harder to know exactly when certain seasons will start and stop. So let's start to explore that in a bit more detail. How has climate change affected allergy season? So up until very recently, as recently as last year, uh, I was typically talking to my patients about the fact that um, winter was lasting longer and longer. It was taking later and later for tree pollen season to start, which used to in Ontario occur mid to late March. And up until last year, never happened. It would always wait until maybe even the last week of April. It was very delayed in its onset. And when tree pollen season was so late to start, uh, it meant that seasonal allergy sufferers were stuck with a double whammy. So people who were allergic to both trees and grass, which many people commonly are, tree pollen would season get started. People would start having horrible symptoms because it sort of came out of the blue because winter would stop on a dime and then spring would start just as quickly. And then next thing you knew, within a week, grass pollen season had started. 
Um, so patients were experiencing, you know, a double dose of allergens. And so every year I was asked, is this the worst pollen season ever? I'm like, actually, no, the counts aren't as bad as they normally are. They're just, you're getting hit with both at the same time. Last year was a bit of an anomaly in that we actually reverted back to the quote unquote old ways where birch pollen season showed up uh, mid-April. Uh, the levels were higher than we had seen in, in decades uh, in fact, the birch pollen counts were fourfold to tenfold higher on some days compared to the previous year. So last year when people were asking me, is this the worst pollen season ever? I'm like, yeah, actually it is. Um, so again, it's hard to always say exactly how it's going to uh, manifest each year other than change seems to be the new normal, uh, which is also something we're sort of familiar with uh, for other reasons that we won't delve into just yet. And how the heck do you know what you just said? Like, how, how did you become an expert in horticulture? Great question. So I, as I mentioned, I'm chair of the allergy division at Queen's University. I study allergic rhinitis for a living. I run clinical trials. Um, it's very, very important to me to know exactly when the pollen seasons are. Uh, we do studies that rely on knowing exactly when we're in the off season uh, for studies we do uh, for challenges in the hospital so that we're not challenging people at the same time to ragweed as they might be experiencing outdoor pollen in the real world. And we also run trials where we need to have patients experiencing real world symptoms, quote unquote, in the real world. So I have been tracking pollen counts uh, as part of my job for, for over a decade. So is it just the tree pollens that, that shift in their onset or does that affect uh, other kinds of potential allergens? Yeah, the one that the, the tree pollen is the one that's the, the most hit and miss um, and one we have to pay the most attention to because it's the first thing we are faced with in the spring as Canadians. Grass pollen season has been fairly consistent. Uh, ragweed uh, in terms of onset is still as consistent as clockwork. August 15th, you can count on ragweed hitting the uh, hitting the air. Um, again, the duration of the pollen seasons and the peak is fluctuating a little bit from year to year. Um, but yeah, it's interesting how tree is our first harbinger of spring allergy season. And it's the one that's been uh, all over the map compared to previous years. So what's the connection between climate change and that and, and the changing of the timing of, of the onset of tree pollen allergies, tree pollen and, and therefore allergies? Yeah, so pollination is very dependent on signals from Mother Nature, if you will. So the trees are relying on some sort of signal with warming in the spring to say, okay, snow is gone. You can start thinking about getting ready to um, produce your pollen and move forward. Um, but then if you don't ever get that warming or it's very delayed, again, that's why birch pollen has been such a late season uh, up until recent years. That's kind of how the, the trees try to figure out what they're supposed to do. Um, again, maple trees last year didn't even run any sap because the, the weather was all over the place. Um, so again, I am definitely not a climatologist. I can't get into the details as to why climate has changed other than to say, I think we all experience it as Canadians and we know our weather is different now than it was when we were growing up. Um, and I think that that lack of the clear transition of a nice cold winter to a nice warm spring to then slowly into a big hot summer, we all know that that's not what we're getting anymore. We kind of go straight from winter to a quick spring into summer weather. And that just sort of throws off the internal antenna, if you will, of, of the trees to figure out what they're supposed to do and when they're supposed to do it. 
Are we seeing any new allergens as a result? I mentioned that because our producer, Stephanie Dubois, mentioned snow mold, and I'd never even heard of that. Yeah, so snow mold's not such a new allergen as it is something that we've better characterized and, and are more familiar with as a term. So snow mold is is what is responsible for all those big brown spots on your grass when the snow finally melts for the first time in the spring and you see those big areas of dead grass. That's snow mold that's killed your grass over the course of the winter. And that's a mold that for some people can be um, highly sensitizing and can cause a lot of early onset symptoms of sneezing and sniffling in March when you first get rid of the snow. Not everybody is allergic to mold, but mold we know acts as a respiratory irritant. So there's lots of people who will experience um, symptoms like allergies uh, at that first changing of the seasons. Uh, we attribute it to snow mold and weather change, uh, but really the only way to know 100% for sure is if it's actually allergy is to see an allergist such as myself for skin testing. Of course, a lot of us are wearing masks. We've been wearing masks uh, and isolating because of the pandemic. What impact has masking and isolation had on our seasonal allergies, if any? I think it has made some degree of an impact. Um, Again, depending on which mask you're choosing to wear um, and the size of the particles to which you can block. I mean, pollen is is relatively large. It's eight angstroms, I it's just it's big enough that you can block at least some of it from being inspired if you're wearing a mask when you go outside uh, if it's a decent mask i mean they're not perfect by any means but um they do seem to reduce exposure to a certain degree again most people don't tend to wear their masks outside though so if you're not wearing them 24 7 indoors and outdoors um, you're never going to completely get away from pollen. Uh, you do have to breathe outdoor air from time to time. Um, and again, pollen is windborne. So if it's in the wind and you're outside with no mask on, you will inhale the pollen. Even if you do have your mask on, you're going to get some of it. Um, so it's not a perfect filter, but I have had some patients who noticed last year that they didn't feel that their allergies were quite as bad last year or the year before because they continued to wear their masks all the time. Um, but those patients who want to enjoy a nice uh, spring day, particularly when we get to June and July and grass pollen season, um, they did realize that, yeah, it, it, it's not uh, the be all and the end all. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I deliberately steered the conversation a bit away from COVID just because, you know, I don't want in any way to trivialize the symptoms of COVID. But, you know, Omicron causes a scratchy throat. So do allergies. Do some people confuse seasonal allergies with COVID symptoms? So this has been a conversation I've been having uh, for the past two and a half years. Um, Fortunately, there are some discriminating symptoms. Definitely, you're right, there's overlapping symptoms. So runny nose, sneezing, post-nasal drip leading to cough, those are all features of allergic rhinitis and certainly overlap with not only COVID in general, but definitely Omicron. Um, However, there are certain features that if you experience them can help you to sort of distinguish is this more likely my allergies versus is this COVID and then do I need to go figure out a way to get a test? So itchy, watery eyes, uh, red burning eyes, nasal itch, itching of the ears, palate and throat. Those really start to steer you more towards an allergic rhinitis or hay fever issue as opposed to COVID. Um, Sore throat, extreme fatigue and malaise. Obviously, just feeling like you're really run down. Um, But again, a sore throat as opposed to an itchy throat. 
that should make, lead you more inclined to make sure you're getting a COVID test in some way, shape or form to know for sure what you're dealing with. Hey, my name is Jamie Poisson and I'm the host of FrontBurner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear FrontBurner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so we've been talking a little bit about symptoms and about uh, the timing, distinguishing seasonal allergies from COVID. Let's talk about treatment. What are your go-to recommendations for treatment? Yeah, so if you've certainly if you've never sought treatment for your allergic rhinitis or hay fever symptoms, you should not suffer in silence. There are lots and lots of options that you can avail yourself of. We have many good over-the-counter second-generation antihistamines that are very effective, as well as over-the-counter nasal steroids now. Um, it's really important that you pick what I call a second generation, which translates into non-sedating antihistamines. Um, they're more effective than the older first generation sedating options that are have that brand name recognition like Benadryl. Um, un, unlike the ads, uh, you know, the older, the newer antihistamines definitely are better. Um, but if those over-the-counter agents don't work, we have lots of prescription options too now in Canada that your family doctor can uh, prescribe for you and, and give you, uh, get you on the path towards uh, symptomatic control. What are some of those uh, treatments? Yeah, so if you um, end up seeking attention from your family physician, we have two new prescription antihistamines that have been on the market since 2016, rupatidine and belastine, again, complicated names, but they're both non-sedating. If you have private drug coverage, they're covered by your insurance, so you're not paying out of pocket for uh, the drugs at the pharmacy. And similarly, there's about seven intranasal corticosteroids that your family doctor can prescribe for you that, again, uh, will be covered by your private insurance plan as opposed to paying for what you see over the counter. So you mentioned uh, Benadryl, uh, diphenhydramine, uh, and you know that's a medication that we still commonly use in the emergency department. Uh, and, uh, you, know, you know, it's something that I know that people have been trying to get removed from emergency departments and pharmacies. Can you say more about why we should be thinking about doing that? Absolutely. So in 2019, the Canadian Society of Allergy and Clinical Immunology released a position statement uh, speaking to the fact that first-generation antihistamines should no longer be used as first line for allergic rhinitis or chronic urticaria. Um, in reality, we wish we could have said for anything, uh, but the, you know, you've got to go by what's on the product monograph uh, for these medications. Um, again, agents like diphenhydramine or Benadryl have so many side effects that can be removed if you switch to these newer agents. Um, you don't have the risk of sedation, cognitive impairment impairment of learning and memory formation, uh, the muscarinic side effects like dry mouth and urinary retention, um, they cross-reactive serotonin receptors, which leads to weight gain and, and therefore, uh, sorry, appetite increase and therefore weight gain. They can also lead to postural hypertension and dizziness. And finally, and most importantly, they're associated with cardiac arrhythmias uh, and, and actually fatalities. Whereas the second generation antihistamines like cetirizine, rapatidine, belastine, 
um, fexofenadine, uh, desiratidine. There's so many of them we have now available to us in Canada. It really would be a shame to continue using these older sedating agents that are no more effective than our safer second generation agents. You mentioned uh, nasal corticosteroid sprays. Um, how do they work? Yeah, so they're, they're a steroid, but they are locally effective. So they're not like when you hear about steroids, they don't go through your whole body. They just work in the nose. Um, as I mentioned, we have two that are available over the counter, Nasacort and Flonase, which are older agents that are still effective. Um, but we also have newer agents available via prescription that may be safer or easier to administer, um, depending on your preference. There's also a prescription combination uh, medication that has both an intranasal corticosteroid and a topical intranasal antihistamine, which has a very rapid onset of action. Again, some of these medications obviously are a little bit pricier, so it is worth looking into your insurance to see if they're covered. And then I think, obviously, if you're sick of taking uh, pills and nasal sprays, if you see an allergist, we can talk about immunotherapy, which will actually treat the underlying allergy in the first place. So let's talk about immunotherapy. How does that work? So immunotherapy in an injectable form has been around for over 100 years. Um, many of you may have heard of somebody in your family who's been on so-called allergy shots. Um, this is basically a custom um, engineered formulation to treat you to all the things you're allergic to with a series of injections. Um, because it is pure allergen, we do need to start off with a lower dose and gradually increase it. So it's a series of weekly injections over the course of six months, followed by monthly injections thereafter for a course of somewhere to three to five years to get a long-lasting change in your immune system. From, the, from that perspective, it's, it's highly effective, particularly for seasonal aeroallergens. And most, most of my patients have had very impressive uh, symptom relief and to get to the point where they don't even need to use uh, their rescue medications. Most recently, though, we've also had access to sublingual immunotherapy, which is a tablet that patients can take at home after they receive their first dose in the doctor's office, um, which is much more convenient. Um, again, most of them are not yet covered by, uh, by public formularies, so you do need private insurance. But we have tablets available to treat ragweed, grass, tree, and house dust mite allergies, where, again, you just have to come to see me for your very first dose, and then all of your doses thereafter, you can take yourself at home because the safety profile is uh, so enhanced compared to the injectable formulations. Is it something that you would take for the rest of your life? No, normally we look at three to five years of any of these therapies. Um, everybody's a bit different. I mean, I tend to hedge my bets and, and try to push people towards the five just to be, make it that much more likely that people will have long-lasting benefits. But per the product monographs, usually three years is enough to produce long-lasting benefit. And besides medication, how else can people can protect themselves? Yeah, so allergen avoidance is something we always attempt to achieve. So if you're allergic to cats or dogs and you live with a cat or a dog, we encourage people to find a new home for Fido or Fluffy. That's not always successful. Um, again, dust mite allergy, there are dust mite and perennial covers for your mattress and pillow that you can cover your pillow and mattress with and purchase those at places like um, any kind of home health care uh, organization. Unfortunately for pollen, people have to go out at some point. Um, so we do encourage things like keeping your windows shut, turning the air conditioning on. Uh, don't dry your clothes on the clothesline so they don't get covered in pollen while they're drying off. Um, washing your bedding in hot, hot water, uh, things like that. Changing your clothes as soon as you come home. 
And then other natural remedies such as uh, saline rinses can be very beneficial for patients who prefer to not use medications. But we try our best with allergen avoidance. Unfortunately, it, it ends up being a hard thing to do in the long run for most cases. So you were talking about the availability of treatments uh, for, uh, you know, that are prescribed and administered by, by, by allergists. When should people see a doctor for their allergy symptoms? I think certainly anybody who is getting incomplete relief from antihistamines and nasal steroids, if that's not enough to control your symptoms, by all means, you should definitely be reaching out and asking for a referral to see someone like myself for testing and consideration of immunotherapy. But also, if you're young and you don't want to have to keep taking all of these medications year after year after year for the rest of your life, that might be the time to intervene with with immunotherapy and and ask a senologist to find out exactly what you're allergic to and and get on a customized regimen. Dr. Ann Ellis, you are a fund of knowledge on seasonal allergies and all allergies for that matter. Thank you so much for answering our questions. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Dr. Ann Ellis is a professor of medicine and chair of the Division of Allergy and Immunology at Queen's University. Here's your dose of smart advice. With climate change, tree pollen season has become less predictable and more likely to arrive later than usual. If your seasonal allergy symptoms are worse, it's because tree and grass pollen may arrive at the same time, giving you a double dose of pollen. Seasonal allergy symptoms like scratchy throat, runny nose, and cough can be confused with symptoms of COVID, though there are differences. Itchy, watery eyes and nose are likely due to allergens, while a painful sore throat, fatigue, and malaise are more likely due to COVID. When in doubt, get a COVID test. Wearing masks outdoors may give some relief from allergic symptoms by filtering out pollen particles. Another good reason to keep masking. To control symptoms, try one of the newer, over-the-counter antihistamines that are non-drowsy. Your doctor or nurse practitioner can prescribe non-drowsy antihistamines that are stronger. Avoid older antihistamines like diphenhydramine, brand name Benadryl, because it causes drowsiness and a whole host of side effects that can be dangerous. Corticosteroid nasal sprays that are over-the-counter or by prescription can also help. Another treatment option for people with severe seasonal allergies is to see an allergist to get started on immunotherapy, which controls allergic symptoms by priming your body's immune system to make antibodies that block allergic reactions. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions you'd like answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts, or at CBC White Coat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. Our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois. Technical support was by Laura Antonelli. Our senior producer this week is Jeff Goods. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.